Hey guys, this is Pete. Before we start the show, I just wanted to give a quick shameless plug for my debut novel entitled Frankenstein, A Life Beyond. It's the first direct sequel to Mary Shelley's classic and follows Ernest Frankenstein, the sole survivor of the original book. Like mystery, adventure, romance, horror, then this is the ebook for you. Check it out today on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and my website, EnceladusLiterary.com. That's E-N-C-E-L-A-D-U-S-Literary.com. Thanks. Now on with the show. Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. (laughs) We give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. The fact that we're unemployable should never enter your mind. Otherwise, you're wasting your time and his. And ours. And his. And don't mention Benedict unless he does first. And if he does, tell him everything. Right. Stay on point. And don't forget the other thing I told you. About what? I'm listening. Just relax. Remember, we don't get this job, we're dead. With your host, Pete. That guy doing potsy is unbelievable. And Greg. Okay, I don't even understand what happened in there. What did I say? Called his niece a whore. Very cheap one. What? She's seven. I'm currently confined to bed with a wicked case. Oh, no, of don't die. Don't tell me. I'm sorry. And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. Now you told me that your wife said that he called it Ocean Eleven. Now who decided that? I'm a private contractor. It was a collaboration. That moniker is insulting. Yeah, I mean, Danny, it was one job that we did together. So I don't know where this whole like proprietary stance comes from. Wait, it seems a little possessive. One could know? make the argument that because it was, in fact, Danny's idea, maybe No, it hang be- on a minute. We all had our own areas of expertise. I mean, without us, it don't leave your head, mate. It just hurts, you know, because it seemed like we all agreed to call it the Benedict job. I mean, that's what we called it when we were doing it. You know? right. <laughs> if you wanted to call it something else all along, then... Wait, when you have a problem, who do you go to? Rusty. Rusty. Thanks, Linus. We, uh... Are we ready to go? Let's do it. I don't think he's in Ocean's Eleven. (laughs) Come on, Danny. I'm your friend, Brad Pitt. The Expendables movies is just an offshoot of Ocean's (laughs) Eleven. (laughs) They're all going to show up in the same universe. It's me, your friend, Rusty. (laughs) Rusty, come on. Let's go kill these guys in a knockover casino. (laughs) Oh, I think we've got something to stick into this show. Oh, God, okay. Oh, another episode of Hindsight is 2020, eh? Hey, hey, hey. Time to dive into a world of positivity. (gasps) Why are we so negative all the time? You can't do this. You did this awful. Well, let's dive into a little series of films that, by all intents and purposes, actually did a reboot correctly. They, We're going to arrogantly get to say, hey, you guys did this right? That's right. They actually <laughs> looked at a film that was original and garbage and said, we can do that better. And mainly they did. So well, what what are we talking about then? Well, I don't think it's much of a mystery considering everyone just heard the title and downloaded the episode called Ocean's Eleven. But we're talking about Ocean's Eleven and 12 and 13 and 
the expendables for some reason <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we are it's me danny ocean your friend rusty let's go to the casino yeah that's our that's our new theory is that the expendables <laughs> movies are just an offshoot and live in the same universe as the ocean's <laughs> 11 movies <laughs> so danny Man, Bruce willis is pulling double duty no oh, wonder he couldn't man. hang around very long in expendables 2 because he couldn't hang around very long in Ocean's 12 either. So oh, yeah. He's, he's a busy guy. <laughs> he is. That's the connection right there. Bruce Willis has to come back. Instead of being greedy and lazy, he has to come back and 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 be in Expendables again. So, so what are we playing there? Two degrees of Bruce Willis? <laughs> <laughs> or Joy Roberts playing herself for some reason? For some reason. Yeah, well, which, we'll save that. Which, yeah, which brings up a lot of logic questions right there. <laughs> Wait a minute. So... If Julia Roberts exists in this world, hey, that guy looks a lot like George Clooney. He's really famous in this world, too. That Merlin Olsen comes over on occasion. We're talking about Ocean's Eleven, movie originally made in 1960 with Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. and Peter Lawford and Joey Bishop and Cesar Romero, who was the Joker on the Batman show and... Uh, Angie Dickinson, I believe, was in it. Shirley MacLaine, I think, was in it. Uh, it was the Rat Pack, and it was at the height of the Rat Pack-ism. And the movie really was just a reason for the guys to have something to do during the day after getting drunk and partying on stage all night. Except for, <laughs> Dean, except for Dean Martin, who his drunken act was just that, an act. The man never dropped, touched alcohol. So there's your trivia for the day. Hey. So it was made in 1960. It was vaguely popular, but as we will see, the producers, uh, I think it was mainly Soderbergh and Clooney, formed a production company around the year 2000, and Warner Brothers said, well, what do you have? And they said, well, everyone looks back fondly on the Rat Pack and Ocean's Eleven, but they don't actually watch the movie Ocean's Eleven and realize, oh, this is pure garbage. <laughs> <laughs> this this well, goes nowhere. <laughs> well, well, I was going to say, for those not in the know, because, I mean, I, I think I've seen, like, a few snippets of the original, but I've never actually... I'm I'm among the masses. I've not sat down and watched the original Ocean's Eleven. What about it makes it so untenable? Well, I shouldn't say garbage. That's just a stupid word. It's just... It's not good, if that's any better than garbage. Is, that, uh, is it just one of those films that doesn't age well, or it's one of those films that just, it's, hey, these guys started shooting and didn't really know what the heck they were doing, and it shows a lot, or? Well, the the honest answer is from what little trivia I've seen about it, Frank Sinatra kind of, in his big head, I'm taking over kind of way, pretty much told the director, no, we're doing one take of this, and then we're moving on. Because every sequence in the film... It seems exactly that without exception unless there's something tricky that okay we just absolutely had to do it again any acted scene in the movie 100% looks like what it is one take where they just said action okay let's say our lines and cut let's do that again no baby we're done and that's it <laughs> and then they just leave and and maybe that was the hangover talking Apparently so, but it, and it was just these guys would roll in at eleven o'clock in the morning and shoot till about 
four and then go off and do whatever. So they really just didn't seem to care. And then it was edited together. But uh, the basic gist of the story is Frank Sinatra was the leader of a platoon because, you know, they were only 15 years after World War II. So Mm -hmm. he's bringing the band back together, so to speak, to knock over some casinos. And unlike the remake, they're wasn't any sort of real revenge plot involved um he did have like his mother was remarried to the joker from batman tv show and he didn't like him much and he owned a casino but that it really wasn't like i'm gonna get revenge on that guy it was more just like hey let's just do this because it could be cool let's go hot let's kit let's uh Let's rob every casino in Vegas on New Year's Eve. That's the big conceit. So he brought back all his army buddies to do it. And it, it just, that was it. I mean, that was the extent <laughs> of the that plot. That was the movie. Okay. Which is put, seeing them put that together. And the the end of the movie literally ends with all of the actors looking at each other as a camera dollies along to look at all the guys and and. They are all in a church for a funeral for one of the guys, one of their partners who died. And in this very convoluted way, all the money they stole ended up in the guy's casket and was buried or like incinerated. Uh, He was like uh, uh, cremated. And so all the guys just after all this whole movie of we're going to rob all the casinos and we did and we got all the money. And it's just all them looking at each other and a big old ending of wah, wah, all the money burned up. What do we do now? And then that's it. And then it just says the end. Okay. (laughs) And showing the different culture stylings of the time, Sammy Davis Jr. was the only African-American in the cast. And his role was to drive a garbage truck to collect all the money. So, Uh um. It just, yeah, it just was not a really good film, and it lives up purely by its reputation of being the most famous of the several movies the Rat Pack did in their heyday. So it's kind of like, well, if you want to see really good footage of what the Rat Pack was like in their heyday, just watch that movie, but don't expect a good story. Gotcha. Okay. And so that's what Soderbergh and Clooney and Warner Brothers saw in the year 2000. They said, I think we can do that better because there's a bare bones of an idea here, but there's no characters. There's just these guys partying. Well, I did a little bit of uh, background research on this one, and apparently the only character in name who uh, carries over from that original movie is the Danny Ocean character. Correct. I don't even remember some of the other guys' names, and I don't even have the interest to look it up. Because <laughs> uh, you'd think, oh, there's got to be somebody named Rusty or Linus. Those are pure 1960 names, but nope, there was not. They were they were just, uh, I don't know, I'll have to, to look it up. You, you keep going while I look up idiot names. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about, uh, before we get into the movies that we did get, we'll talk about some of the casting that we could have ended up with. Um, again, from the research that I did, we could have had Mark Wahlberg as Matt Damon. Hey, hey you guys robbing a robbing a casino or something? That'd be pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. I got the names, which it seems really strange looking at this list of names, because as you look at this list of names, you're like, well, 
some of these names work better than in the year 2001 than Rusty and Linus. Because Dean Martin was Sam Harmon. Sammy Davis Jr. was Josh Howard. Peter Lawford was Jimmy Foster. I mean, these are like modern names. So <laughs> I, I, they just flip-flopped him and said, well, let's make our modern movie with old-timey names for some yeah, reason. That, that could have been very deliberate. Uh, and there's the one name that if I would have sat here for a minute with my brain rolling, I would have re- remembered the Cesar Romero character's name was Duke Santos. And if no other reason that they say his name about five million times in the movie is gotta look look out for the duke duke santos (laughs) (laughs) which andy garcia sort of kind of maybe but not really is taking that role i think that's a fair comparison yeah uh going on with alternate world casting um bruce willis was originally slated to be danny ocean that sounds awful. <laughs> I mean, maybe not in 2001, but just thinking of it now, that just sounds terrible. That sounds like a really bad idea. I'll keep going. Oh. Owen and Luke Wilson were signed out to be the bro- brothers Virgil and Turk. Yeah, it's not too bad. I could see that. <laughs> you want to guess who Basher was originally supposed to be played by? Uh, do Are we sticking African-American? Uh, no, we're not. Oh. We're going more Scottish. Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah, because Mel Gibson's so Scottish. Uh, well, he, he played Scottish once. He, he did play Scottish. I'll give you that. Uh, uh, Ewan McGregor. Oh. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, Reuben could have been played by Sidney Pollock or Dennis Franz. Yeah, see, this seems like this seems like casting from Soderbergh's side saying, let's just make an independent movie, let's get the name Bruce Willis. And then when Clooney came on board, or however it happened, and Warner Brothers came in, they said, no, 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 we'll throw money at you. And then suddenly they said, oh, well, let's just back up the money truck to everyone we know and ask him to take a cut. Ask him to take a cut. All right. Um, our alternate Terrys. Uh, we could have had Warren Beatty. Sure. Michael Douglas or uh, Ray Fiennes. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, Voldemort? Uh, let's see. Ray <laughs> Fiennes coming there. He's going to fucking kill you all. <laughs> uh, Frank was originally supposed to be played by Danny Glover. Oh, sure. And then Saul was supposed to be Alan Arkin. Oh yeah, that was actually the la- I I do know that little bit from the actual from the DVD commentary. He uh or not commentary behind the scenes something whatever. Alan Arkin was replaced really last minute. Like they they got Carl Reiner like a week before and said, uh, "Are you willing to do this cuz uh we need somebody now." So, very interesting. Mm. What a, <laughs> an alternate world, but what we did get was the the headshots of Clooney. I feel like I'm doing this in uh, Doctor Evil. We've <laughs> we've hired we've hired such luminaries as George Clooney. Hey, <laughs> Julia Roberts. Oh, and then we have Brad Pitt and Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon and uh, Andy Garcia, like we said. Uh, 
Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn were the two idiot brothers. Virgil and Turk. Bernie Mac, Elliot Gould, Carl Reiner, and Don Cheeto as uh as Do you say Cheeto? <laughs> I did. <laughs> we'll have to listen to another podcast that's out there in the world to get that one. Don Cheadle yeah. as Basher <laughs> in a really stupid, horrible British accent that just didn't work. So we got Ocean's Eleven opened up a few months after 9-11 in 2001. And I remember all the press being done and how they took it to show the premiere of the movie for the troops in Afghanistan. And and uh, it was it was a big hit. It was... Uh, a stark departure from Ocean's Eleven 1960 in that it had a script. It had, <laughs> it had actors. Check. Check. <laughs> it had actors who did more than one take. Uh, it had a story. It had depth. Character motivation. <laughs> and revenge. Humor. Logic. A happy ending. Spoiler alert! And uh, and it was all capped off by Julia Roberts. For some reason. For some reason. <laughs> not a, not a huge fan. And she she's serviceable. She doesn't get in the way of the story. I, it's fine. Yeah. So I mean, we could really probably make this an extremely short episode by just saying, "Yeah, see, they did that right. They added a story, <laughs> they added a character, they had an original movie that was soulless and shallow as possible, and actually just said, well, there's a bones of an idea here. Let's let's make it good.' And they did. Off, and, here's a challenge for you. Off the top of your head, can you think of another example of anything like that being done, um, where you take? The basic idea of a very old movie and kind of put a completely different or new spin on it, broaden it in scope, uh, really try to build some depth and some fun to it and everything like that. I think uh, the the first one that comes to mind, I don't know why it comes to mind first, but it does, <laughs> is David Cronenberg's The Fly with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Oh, yeah, that's a good example. Because okay. he, he added a lot of creep factor, and there was a lot of story to that. I mean, I've not seen that movie in 20 years, but there's a lot of depth and story to it, and it was based off of one of those B-movie sci-fi crazy things from the 50s. That yeah, Kind of, yeah. Yeah, that he added some depth to and made it po so popular that they made a sequel to it, for crying out loud. I was going to say, kind of going up the same vein here, now that you got me thinking about that, uh, The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, that made... Uh, ripping, off the, uh, ripping off the 50s movie, The Thing from Another World or Planet or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, couldn't you say Star Wars is just a uh, upgraded remake of the old Buck Rogers serials of the 40s? <laughs> In a lot of ways, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're there's probably more examples i didn't have my list out in front of me to to remember uh what they were i mean there's other examples of stuff that i'm sure that we'll want to cover in other episodes that maybe they didn't do it right but uh, yeah i mean it, as far as just something that was that shallow and empty i mean I, I other things that are coming to mind are things where 
the originals weren't that bad. They were just older, so they're just being updated. And I can't can't really think of anything too much off the top of my head. That's right. Ocean's Eleven, which is what we're talking about, <laughs> swinging the door all the way back, closed into the Ocean's Eleven room. And well, what uh, what about this cast? Other than the fact that they did more than one take, <laughs> what about this cast makes them makes us like them? Why why do you think that the audience connected with them enough to be able to carry it through three films? Well, it all comes down to to script. I mean, it had a good script and a solid screenplay is all that you need to be able to then cast it right. And they were lucky enough to be able to cast everyone at the top of their game. Now, I, I mean, it's a little bit different that in 2001, you could say four of your biggest stars in the world are in this movie. And then you go another level down and you're like, well, Don Cheadle was on the rise. Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn had been in some stuff recently before then. Bernie Mac was you know, a popular comedian. Was but, he already doing his show at that point, or did that come after the first one? I think it was before. I think he'd okay. already been a name. and But then you just have the oddballs thrown in of Carl Reiner and Elliot Gould. <laughs> and, you think, and the guy who played Livingstone. Uh, uh, yeah, and then Livingston and uh, uh, Shabo Quinn, who played... Uh, What's the box man? Um, Yen or whatever his name oh, was. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they didn't cast those to name, but they just cast him. Apparently he he was asked to audition. He was kind of in the area doing his uh, routine. He was already part of an acrobatics group and everything like that. And somebody said, hey, we suggest you go and try out for this movie. So that was his <laughs> debut film. Well, there you go. Put it together. Yeah, it just all comes down to what we always talk to talk about on this that they did right is they took the bare bones of an idea and made a good script. And from there, you can do everything well. And you've got, I mean, at in 2001, you theoretically have Soderbergh at the absolute top height of his game. Mm -hmm. You have Clooney on the rise towards the height of his game. You have Brad Pitt probably at the absolute pinnacle of his fame. You have Matt Damon just coming off of Goodwill Hunting and Talented Mr. Ripley and Dogma, and he's on the the rise towards Born Identity to his fame. Don Cheadle just came out of other Soderbergh movies before that. So you just had that perfect mix of an a good screenplay, a you know a story with some depth, and all of these people theoretically at or near the height of their their game and that's what made it click and what made it work for mass audiences now personal opinions can go a different way but <laughs> uh, you know i think that's just what made it work for a mass audience was let's see all these people together doing something crazy and and i mean it's a good uh comparison with the expendables which we kind of had that similar thing same thing going on now but with action movies and do they work? And no. <laughs> and it's mainly because the screenplays. I mean, Expendables 1 was iffy. Expendables 2, that's on Netflix right now, and oh, God, it's not good. 
It is horrible. It is horrific. Well, did they turn that around pretty quick? I I feel like they did. Yeah, maybe a year or two, I think. But it just was oh, it's so bad. Now we got Expendables three coming out soon, and maybe they'll do something different with the screenplay. But oh, it's all about <laughs> the screenplay. So you can get all these people, and I mean, Expendables people are not at the height of their game. It's people out of the retirement home to to come back. So it it yeah, it just comes down to script and to good actors at the height of their game, and it led to two. Well done sequels. I think one of the things I like about this crew is just the kind of mix of uh, characters and personalities and uh, even ages. Uh, A lot of these, you know, you look at like uh, the Italian job or something like that. I mean, everybody in the gang in that movie is pretty much around the same age. Yeah, there's no one to really play off of. Yeah. Yeah, and you've got the good mix of the old the new the funny the heroic the charming the smarmy it yeah it, it just uh it it was a good fit and yeah I, I really think that's one of the strengths of the way that they decided to kind of craft this crew and everything like that so let's go back let's start recording again and let's just simply say get a good script and get good actors and have a lot of money behind you to be able to pay them <laughs> and you should be fine done and get david holmes to do your score at the height of his powers too well yes yes <laughs> that'll work well a lot of people uh really dog on the second movie um and the second movie apparently after the first one was so successful uh they just kind of like the diehard sequels and everything thing the studio looked around and said well what scripts do we have lying around that we could just kind of tweak and incorporate these characters into and they had one called honor among thieves and that ended up being adapted into what became oceans 12 yeah and you and i saw that together and Mm -hmm. i remember really liking it i remember i remember the, the first time i saw it i followed most things Mm -hmm. but I think most of the critics who criticized it saw it once and it totally needs a repeat viewing to this is the lowest rated of the three well and and I can understand that because but again if, if you saw it twice it it could very easily become one of your favorites. It is for me. I, I've seen it definitely more than once. I maybe at least four or five times. I've seen it all the way through, and it is a very simple story. I, I don't, the confusion is is amazing for for people that I I just can't fathom how lost people would get when it's very very simple story. It's more of a straight romance movie than even the first one was. It's not even just the romance. It's just a simple, straight-up heist movie. It's, well, we're competing against this guy to steal this thing. And, spoiler alert, our heroes know exactly what the other guy's doing and steal the the main object way ahead of time. And the whole rest of the movie is just simply them putting on an elaborate show to get away with it. (laughs) And it's, it's very simple. 
And now during during the filming of Twelve and everything, were they having more scheduling conflicts with some of the different members of the team? Or I'm sure they probably were. And okay. Julia Roberts was pregnant at the time, so they incorporated that in with the thing, stupid thing we were talking about earlier. Of yeah, let's make her look like Julia Roberts and. That just gives everyone on the internet now the ability to go back and say, wait a minute. So it's a world with Julia Roberts in it, but there's not a world with Brad Pitt? (laughs) (laughs) You can't look and say, well, yeah, you're coming here in our hotel and you look a lot like Julia Roberts, but wait a minute, you look a lot like Matt Damon. (laughs) (laughs) I just saw you in The Bourne Identity, so what are you doing here pretending to also not be Matt Damon? And the fourth wall totally crumbles. Yeah, as soon as they try to do something like that, it's funny. It's got a little bit of humor. It's making fun of Joy Roberts when she was the biggest star in the world, and they're bringing her down a peg by making fun of her. But if you think about it for any momentary second of time, it's like, well, she just so happens to be married to somebody who's a George Clooney clone. So that seems freaky. Maybe they should go crash the White House and see what happens. Uh, But, yeah, as far as the hatred of the movie, I thought it was really good. It had some sporadic things here and there that maybe didn't work, but, yeah, I I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, to this day, still like it. I haven't watched it in a while, but, uh, yeah, it still plays to me. And then 13, Ocean's 13... uh, I remember when Ocean's 13, they started the production and there was some interviews with uh, Soderbergh and Clooney where they actually were talking about people were disappointed in 12. We don't feel like we did our best in 12. So we're going to do 13 as a makeup to 12, which, again, I don't wholeheartedly agree, but they could do what they want. And what they did was probably give me my favorite movie of the three. Because <laughs> 13 is so tightly woven, so tightly packed, and it's got a good revenge plot. And I, it, it's the one that hums along the quickest and leanest and gets in and out, tells a story with a lot of humor and slickness. And again, comes down to the screenplay. Yeah. And I, it's like any bugs that existed in the first movie, they just kind of shook them out and said, okay, we know what we're doing. And just were able to tell essentially the same story much faster pretty much but it was yeah very clean very neat and wrapped up uh wrapped up in a nice neat little package <laughs> yeah i actually did recently go back and rewatch 13 and what i was kind of struck by and i wasn't really watching for this parallel it just was something that kind of came to my mind as i was watching it was the path, the arc that these films take to me have some interesting parallels to the way that the first three Indiana Jones movies kind of played out. Oh, as far as tone and reception? Yeah, tone and reception and subject matter and kind of, you know, the third one, oh, we're going to bring it on, you know, kind of back home kind of as our goodbye thing and uh, yeah, it's just kind of an interesting little parallel that the more you think about it uh, holds up and they ride off into the sunset at the end of 13 and I I don't think they'll ever come back and do another one well poor Bernie Mac is no longer with us well yeah that is true but I 
I would sense that we're maybe eight to ten years away from the moment when some studio executive who's probably in college right now will be a <laughs> studio executive and will bring up, hey, you know, we've got Ocean's, uh, Oceans movies. Should we reboot Ocean's movies or should we uh, get the old gang back in and cause our hindsight is 2020 podcast which by eight to ten years from now is the most popular podcast in the land Mm. that how should we approach redoing the oceans movies in about 10 years should we bring the old gang back and make another long gap story between our our characters here a la the new star wars or uh crystal skull (laughs) <laughs> no, no. Oh, no, Johnny. Um, or Superman Returns, or is somebody in 10 years going to say, well, let's see what we can do with the Oceans movies and a big heist then with the technology, or is this just going to be a product of its time where they realized it was a bad script long ago, they redid it well, well enough to get two sequels, and they're out of gas, and, and mainly... The last movie maybe rested on the laurels of the chemistry between those people. And maybe it was just a one-time thing you could only grasp onto. I think that uh, plays a large part in the film's success. Was just that getting that group of people together and just kind of going through. And you could tell they were having fun with the experience of making the movie and everything. And yeah, they just kind of captured a little little essence of Vegas in the films and uh, you know it was fairly lighthearted and enjoyable and everything and I think that if they were going to do it again maybe you would have Danny or Rusty or even Matt Damon's character Linus show up for a little bit and that would be about it so not a clean break, but a, a a restart to the franchise, so to speak. I guess it depend. It all depends on the timeline for when this would potentially happen. I, I think you're right. At some point, somebody is going to go. Well, what else do we got laying around? Well, we haven't made Notions movie in a while. <laughs> the Warner Brothers guys are going to step up. Well, we've got the Smoke and the Bandits or the Ocean's Eleven. Which one needs it? Uh, I don't even know if that's Warner Brothers. But. Well, would you would you want to see the uh, formulaic sequel where Danny Ocean's son has to break into a casino? Oh, gosh, I certainly hope so. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, I, I like, you know, maybe we could wrap this up on more of a Hollywood kind of thing because prior to 2001, the biggest team-up movies were long gone. They had, they had done big team-up movies in the 50s and 60s. And then 70s, 80s, 90s were really not full of many of these because essentially the actors just became way too expensive. And that's why... Yeah, you would get more of this kind of stuff when, like, especially in the 80s when like NBC was at its height with showing like movies of the week and you would just shove all these like actors from other shows into these movies and stuff like that. Yeah, but that was the era of the TV, you know, and right. it's hey, it's Tina Others and 
and um, Tony Danza together in a movie with somebody from CBS, Michael Landon. All right. We got all the networks covered. Yeah, those those are silly town. But this, <laughs> as far as major movies, though, is Ocean's Eleven the ground zero, if you will, for what we have now seen more and more actors willing to take the pay cut, maybe for more of a back end, to do a lot more ensemble, a lot more of this. Like we said, Expendables. I don't think Expendables happens without Ocean's Eleven being a template for... Because, you know, Ocean's Eleven came at the time when that bubble was about to burst of Mel Gibson and Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise and Joy Roberts. They get $20 million a movie, so it's just a given. And to see Ocean's Eleven come along where they say they made a joke to Joy Roberts where Soderbergh sent her a copy of the script for Ocean's Eleven and said, I hear you get 20 a picture now, and in the back it was a $20 bill and said, could you come along and play? Yeah. So I don't think Expendables happens. I I don't think... I can't think of anything right now, but there's a lot of movies that are being made now, I, th- I think, as a direct result to just the production of Ocean's Eleven, that ability to start breaking through that wall of, all right, do you really need $20 million to come and act for two months, or do you want to come and play for a million dollars and maybe if it's a good movie, you all win with back-end points. Well, and I think we really need to give credit, too, to the uh, production team behind this here uh, with Soderbergh and Clooney and everything with having don't, that don't, approach don't and forget, having that uh, mindset. Don't, don't forget Jerry Weintraub. Jerry Weintraub can bring everybody together. Well, of course he can. <laughs> As Jerry Weintraub, and I like to tell you how many times I made Karate Kid, because that was my big <laughs> movie I made as Oh God and Karate Kid. I was at, Jerry Weintraub's an interesting cat. I read his biography, and uh, he he was you know he used to be a man a tour manager for Elvis, and uh, he knew Sinatra, so he's the guy that they found to be able to get them in. He knew everybody in Vegas, so. They were able to shoot in the casinos in Vegas. I mean, he's a long-time Hollywood producer. Just an interesting cat. But, yeah, I, I I would just think that Hollywood owes a debt. I mean, at least modern ensemble movies owe some sort of debt to Ocean's Eleven because you suddenly see all these people that in the 90s you would not have seen a movie full of seven, eight, nine different actors where you're like, oh, those are all big stars. Well, and even the, like, side joke characters that they would bring in uh, were pretty, you know, well-known or respectable players, even if it's for, like, a bit part. Like, when we've got Rusty teaching the late 90s television stars how to play (laughs) poker, yeah. Cards, yeah. Yeah, And Topher Grace is in all the movies as as his, uh, you know, whacked-out protege or whatever, which is funny. And yeah exactly it was just let's go play and it proved well i think uh, both pitt and clooney said that that was the most money they ever made was just off of the back end money that they did so just created a a different avenue to be able to get a lot of productions done i mean expendable is the only one coming to mind but i'm sure there are others 
It'd be interesting to hear what Clooney would have to say about how, how doing these movies led him to some of the other projects he was able to get off the ground because they were successful. Well, it's very um, simple. It's uh, I'll do this for you, and you let me do one for me. <laughs> so yeah. I'll, do an, I'll do an Ocean's Eleven, Warner Brothers, and you let me do Solaris and Confessions of a Dangerous Mind and other movies that are not meant to are not designed to make any money. Good night, good luck. And Good Luck was designed to not make money, but to be made as a creative endeavor. And the only way it got made, he did Ocean's 12, and then they made a crap ton of money. So, it's yeah, it's definitely a do one for me, we'll do one for you. Yeah, and that's a, that's a real... But I can't think of very many... I mean, I know that's how the system kind of works, but I can't think of very many people who have been able to so successfully kind of use that uh, to their own careers kind of advantage and their own aspirations for what they want to do as, you know, somebody interested in film. Yeah. A lot working of, in the industry. A lot of good timing and and the uh, lottery of life. <laughs> One. <laughs> but I think that's enough for Ocean's Eleven. I think Yeah, we're we're staring at the fountains too long. <laughs> it but it just comes down to you got a good idea, make a good screenplay out of it, and you're good. So everyone look back in your catalogs of awfulness and find a movie with a good idea that was pure garbage and say, if you put a character in there, oh, I got it. Here's a good one. Mm. Here's a snake eating its own tail moment for Hollywood. <laughs> the Mission Impossible series. Oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. Because you have the first one, which is kind of a convoluted mess, but people liked it. The second one, which is just plain stupid. <laughs> hey, they're, they're doves. But in both movies, Tom Cruise is playing Tom Cruise. He's a spy for some reason who's good at things at for some purpose. They meant nothing. And then when they went to Mission Impossible 3... They brought in J.J. Abrams, a real script guy, a guy who's all about concept and character. And, well, you do this, that's going to lead to this. And you do this, that's going to lead to this. And you want to ask why that does. So suddenly, the best movie in the whole series is Mission Impossible 3, all because J.J. Abrams came on and said, how about you play Ethan Hunt, a character, <laughs> not Tom Cruise? And let's see what happens. What was your opinion about the ghost protocol? It was good. They, I, it was definitely did they, good. Did they keep the character, or did it start to stray too much back into I'm Tom Cruise? A little bit, but it was it was good. It was definitely well done. It was done by Brad. Oh no, Ford. I liked it. Yeah, but I don't think that his. I don't think he slipped too far back. But I'd still say the high point is three. I mean, for no other reason, it's just. It's a two-hour-long episode of Alias, but with Tom Cruise instead of Jennifer Garner. Sure. Which, <laughs> I love Alias, so that's why it works. <laughs> why wouldn't it work? And it's got a little felicity in there and craziness, but it worked. And that was the biggest key is just because, hey, there's a character that we care about. So, there. Kudos on that. J.J. Abrams rebooted the Mission Impossible series with all the same people. Did you ever watch the old television series? Have you ever seen an actual episode of the old television series? Not outside of uh, maybe a minute here somewhere in my life. I've never seen it, no. Because I have a feeling if we went back and looked, probably the Mr. Phelps character 
is the only one who carries over from name-wise from the original Mission Impossible series. Yeah, the Jim Phelps. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's another idea is that 1996, they tried to reboot that. Maybe it was a good idea in theory. I don't know. I've never seen the show, so I can't. Like I've only it. seen bits and pieces of episodes. Yeah, I'm not well enough versed to say one way or another. But I mean, we could just go on and on. What were some good reboots? What were some good fixes? And I, you know, I could say the Brady Bunch movies in the mid '90s. <laughs> just of all of the stream of movies based off of a '60s TV shows, I would definitely say the Brady Bunch movies were the best of that lot. Well, Jan, when you judge others, you're not just judging them, you're judging yourself, and that can lead to bad judgment. I never thought of it that way. (laughs) (laughs) It's just cool. I mean, people will say the Adams Family movies were okay, and I'm like, "Uh, they're okay, but yeah, the of the that would I would say Brady Bunch movies, but that could be another episode. As sure, David sure. Holmes, I'm sure we'll start kicking in here momentarily as we uh, <laughs> wrap it up. We will wrap up this uh, casino heist and uh, talk about taking uh, Don Ho's shirt or whoever's shirt that they took. Or no, the guy doing Potsy was unbelievable. We can just work on that. There we go. <laughs> Or were you just watching Oprah? (laughs) (laughs) Are we done? Uh, I think uh, what we have to say can stay in Vegas. like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. Well, Terry, it sure as shit ain't sad. Okay, but... Ah! Hey. Hey. Okay, the guard by the main elevator shaft has a little Hitler for a son. Real riddle and sniffer. Yeah. You okay? Yeah, no, I just bit into a pepper. Anyway... Is that? Hmm? Are you? Are you watching Oprah? With a bottle of wine? Did you TV this? I was reading the paper. With the sound at full volume?